Hi, I'm Mr. Kwonga. I'm Ian Wright. And I'm Ryan Hun. And collectively, we are the Stadio Podcast and Wrighty's House on the Ring FC feed. Yes, we are. And we come to you three times a week on the Ring FC feed. Bringing love. We're bringing love and football. So if you like zooming out and zooming in on football and all the stuff around it, make sure you follow Ring FC on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. How's that, Rye? I reckon I'll do. Yeah, man. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer, availability, and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NFL show. I'm Nora Princiati. I am here as always with Stephen Ruiz. Stephen, say hello. Hello. Should I say anything else? No, that was it. That was great. Okay. Uh, just absolutely a close listener doing what he's asked. Team player, as usual, I would expect nothing less. Uh, we are here because we are going to be finishing up on the precipice of training camp. Training camp starting for a bunch of teams. Um, around the league today, we are going to be finishing up our power ranking series with the NFC East. But first, just this morning, there was some news out of the NFC East, and we can talk about this a little bit more when we talk about the Giants. But just to hit it off the top, Saquon Barkley, one of the several running backs who have been dissatisfied after having been franchise tagged and failing to reach a long-term agreement with their teams ahead of the deadline, did agree to a one-year deal with the Giants this morning. Uh, The reason he can do that is because franchise tagged players can negotiate a new one-year deal. They just can't, after the deadline has passed, negotiate anything longer than that. Uh, So the deal is a one-year $11 million contract with a $2 million signing bonus. The effective difference between that and the tag is uh, a little less than a million dollars, $900,000 more than he would have gotten on the tag. The other thing is that he gets the bonus now. Um, I don't know what $2 million up front means to Saquon Barkley, but a a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow, so good for him. It's not a, a super, super meaningful difference, but it's something, right? Yeah. And... It also means that the training camp holdout that, you know, he talked about on a podcast um, as being something that he potentially could feel like he has to do, didn't want to do, but was considering doing. I think that ends here. And it seems like um, that means that he will he will be there. This is their resolution. Uh, According to Adam Schefter, they can tag him again next year. One of the things that was talked about um, ahead of this happening was the idea that maybe something he could try or other running backs, although I think Saquon probably had 
more leverage than someone like a Josh Jacobs or a, or a Tony Pollard. He could have tried to negotiate for an agreement that the Giants would not use the tag on him next year. That did not happen. So they can go ahead and do this again in the year um, if they want to. This is part of an overall series of news stories around running backs who are very concerned about their their positional value. There was a Zoom call with a bunch of those guys led by Austin Eckler on Saturday just about the future of the position, the future of the value of the position. Um, there's guys like Dalvin Cook and, and Zeke Elliott who are just still out there. So, you know, we'll see what happens there before the start of the season or potentially during the season, I guess. Um, we've obviously had a lot of positional value conversations around running backs, but I, I do think there are some distinctions here. What's been your reaction to all of this, Stephen? I mean, I think... I was certainly one of those people like doing the don't pay running backs thing like a year or two ago. But I like at a certain point, I think there is a shift in thinking. And I think we've already passed that point where we've gone from just focusing on on field value and what these guys uh, provide for the team, basically. And I think that's like missing the whole conversation. I mean, these guys are doing one of the more dangerous jobs on the field, as evidenced by the fact that they have this tremendously short shelf life. And I think that has to be factored into their pay because it, it's not that like the running back position doesn't matter. Like going back to the original stance, like the the stat boy stance uh, on running backs, I, I think it's... <laughs> I think it's that there's a lot of talented running backs and their their production is somewhat replaceable. But the the function they serve on the field isn't replaceable. And I think that's like the conversation. That's where the conversation right. needs to go. And I think like when you hear some people, I don't this is not gonna happen, but you hear people being like, Oh, the running backs need a union. Maybe they kind of do because they they are put in this unique position that you don't really see elsewhere on the field, like even like a safety. Like that's the defensive version of being a running back. Right. They, those are the guys that are getting, having a hard time getting paid what they feel like they should get paid. They still get monster contracts every now and then. Like when a when a star safety hits free agency, they get paid. Like Jesse Bates got paid. That doesn't happen with running backs. So I, I think this is very unique. And I think it's a conversation that we're not doing any justice if we just focus on positional value. We'll talk about Saquon's like value to the team, but like on the field, but like in that locker room, there's no way to measure that. Your 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 scatter charts aren't going to be able to measure what that means. Like if they did not pay Saquon and he comes in, he comes in late or whatever, and he's disgruntled, like that has an effect on the locker room. And I think you have to pay one of your leaders. And it wasn't like a big raise, but I think it is symbolic. And it it does kind of help because there is like that franchise tag escalator, I guess. Like you get 25% of what your salary was last year. So like a, a $1 million boost is actually like a $2.5 million boost the next year. I don't know. But uh, I think there is something there. He did get something not, out of it. Not quite. I, I'm doing my math wrong. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It would be like one point one point. Two million dollars. Yeah, that's right. I, I can't do math. I'm sorry. Oh, but if you but if you add them all together, if you add them all together, yeah. then yes. But yeah, I think uh, I think it's symbolic. I don't think it's a win for running backs by any means, but I do think that it's something the Giants had to do. They had to they had to give them something, and they did. Yeah, it, it's not particularly. It's not a huge bump, obviously, but I agree with you that it's symbolic. I also do think that that's illustrative of the fact that that 
these guys just have very little leverage because Saquon should have the most of all of them. He's really, really important to that offense. They've, they've, you know, Brian Dable historically is a pass first guy. So it's, it's possible that they want to look a little bit different from that, but the, the symbiosis between how he played last season and how Daniel Jones played last season, even if they are planning to make some tweaks this year was so critical to their success. And he was their most explosive player. You know, maybe if, if Darren Waller's healthy, those two are in, in competition this year for that title, but they need this offense needs playmakers and Saquon was really the one that they had last year. So it would have been a major issue for them, I believe, to be going through the season without him isn't the right way to frame it, right? Because the financial cost of, of holding out of games is so significant, but I don't think that they were going to be in that place. Mm-hmm. But just to be in, just to have a bad relationship with one of your most important offensive players, that is probably worth $900,000 to the Giants. Um, and actually, in a lot of cases, it would probably be be worth more, but that just goes to show the situation a lot of these guys are in. It, you mentioned the talk of do the running backs need a union? And I, I agree with you. I think that would be a hard thing to accomplish. You're up against a lot of, a lot of competing interests. The guys who are at the bottom of rosters or in the offseason fighting to make the 53 and wouldn't want to be part of something that might involve withholding labor. Or you're talking about the relationship between, okay, how does that group fit within the greater NFLPA? What's the relationship there? There are other positions, safety, you mentioned tight end, where players have complaints about how much they are generally compensated relative to other positions. So there's a lot of dynamics that would need to get figured out there. So I'm not saying that I think that is going to happen either. I do think that would be, I think that's close to the only answer. Unfortunately, I think, you know, and slightly encouraging to see that they're all getting on Zoom together because collective action for something like this is really the only pathway because when we talk about running back value, a lot, you know, this is, look, the NFL is a, is a capitalistic enterprise. These are positional market forces, ultimately. And I think one distinction that gets lost is we're not talking about running back value as it relates to demand. Teams need these guys. They need good ones. I I think even that's on the upswing a little bit when more and more defenses have linemen and, and linebackers who have been chosen for their ability to stop the pass and for when they are st- stopping the run to be defending primarily these these wide zone schemes. Guys who can hit it up the middle are maybe starting to have a little bit of a renaissance. I think that's going to be an incredibly interesting thing to watch this season if, if that continues. The issue is, is the supply it's too easy for the Chiefs to just get an Isaiah Pacheco in the in the 200s in the draft. So if these teams believe that they can get good guys and, and guys who can perform well for them pretty much anywhere at pretty much no cost, that's why they don't want to pay the special ones. It's not because they don't have important roles in, in offenses, and it's not because they don't perform tasks that are valuable in terms of winning football games. It's that they think they can get them anywhere, 
And that hasn't exactly been proven, proven wrong. That's why I think you're right to bring sort of a morality into it, which is that these are guys who, you know, they don't get long contracts because their body of work is, is not typically is on the shorter end for positions in a game where careers are already incredibly right. short. There are also guys who have used a lot of their, their good years, mostly unpaid, though obviously that's changing somewhat, which is good, in college. And if they have a different, different set of concerns, the, fat, the most effective way to change that, right, is to cut off the supply because the supply is what's killing them. Yeah. Tough thing to tough pill to swallow, <laughs> yeah. tough thing to accomplish. But I think we would like if something like that ever were to happen, all of the conversations around running backs would change really fast because we we talk about it because of where the intersection of supply and demand is, not because they don't perform value valuable roles on these teams. Right. I think that's a key that that's the key point. And like I think the solution is some type of financial system that is independent of on-field performance, like some type of hazard pay that all running backs get. They get this amount of money every year if they play in the league. I think that, that's the only way to work around it because it's always going to turn into this competitive thing because it's NFL teams looking for edges, looking and roster construction is such a big deal in the NFL. It's one of the things, it's like one of the only things we talk about during the offseason. So right. figuring out how to work around that, it's going to be tough and it's going to take more than this group of running backs on zoom. And it's going to take like real solidarity between them. Cause one of the problems with like CBA negotiations, especially in sports is like these, these wide gaps between the, the guys that are making a bunch of money, the superstars and the guys that are hanging, barely hanging on who don't necessarily have like a voice in the room. So it's going to be tough. I don't know, but there's no easy answer, but it, it is a, a problem. I don't think it's something we can just ignore. And I like there are people on Twitter. They're like, oh, why do we care about paying running backs now? Like a year ago, we weren't. At, yeah, that's how like change in thinking works. Like at one point we think we don't think a thing's a problem. And then we realize that it is. And then we address it. And I think that's something that definitely needs to happen over the next couple of years. The, the NFL has enough money to solve this problem. Totally. All right. We can talk a little bit more about Saquon within the the New York offense when we get to the Giants, which we'll do because it's NFC East time. First, though, let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer, availability, and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging. I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. 
ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Okay. We are back. I could ask you, Stephen, who your top team in, in the NFC East is. I'm going to assume it was the one who was in the Super Bowl last year. Good call. <laughs> shocker. Absolute shocker here on the final installment of the Ringer NFL Power Rankings Divisional Preview Series. Uh, yeah, the Eagles are number one for me as well. Basically, everyone's back. The largest change, I, I think, is probably that Jonathan Gannon is in... Arizona now, and I'm not even sure that that's a bad thing. It might not be. This is quite possibly the best roster in the NFL. I think it's certainly the best roster in the trenches in the NFL. What is stopping the Eagles from returning to the Super Bowl? Okay, let me just add this disclaimer because I don't want this clipped and like someone saying like, oh, Stephen Ruiz thinks the Eagles are going to be terrible this year. I am simply making... Everyone get their their clip clips ready. <laughs> I'm simply making the case for how they how things could go bad because I agree with everything you just said. This is the best roster. I think it's the best team in the NFC by far, uh, especially with what's going on with San Francisco and their quarterback position, which is still kind of unsettled. But I think I look at the defense and a little bit of regression in terms of sacks and interceptions. When you when, when you really, like, break down why this defense was so good into, like, components, like, I, this is what I did. I, I looked at their total EPA, and then I kind of broke it down into, like, little sections, little components. And sacks and interceptions were by far the thing that was really driving their performance. When they didn't have an interception or a sack on a dropback, they were, like, a mid-defense, which I, which I think speaks to, like, their coverage unit, they obviously have two good corners, but like their safety and linebacker unit is was, you know, whatever. And I think that shows up in the stats. And these guys were historically good at, at getting sacks last year. I don't know if you remember, but they they had they had a record setting sack total and they added 123 points on sacks alone. The next best team was the 49ers who have a very good defensive line and they were around <laughs> like the 90s. Like it was a like a thirty point gap basically, and like no matter what, they're not going to be able to match that. It's it's unrealistic. Right. I, Danny Danny Heifetz, I feel like, has always has liked to point out that stat about um, the Jaguars' defensive line having basically as many pressures but like half as many sacks, which I think is probably says more about what was happening in Jacksonville than in Philly, but it says a little bit about what was happening in Philly as yeah, well. Yeah, unsustain- it's like unsustainably historic production. I'm not trying to say it was fluky or fake. It's just like anytime you have that type of season, it's hard to replicate. And then on top of that, like the interceptions, they were fifth in the NFL and like EPA gained on interceptions. And I that's a stat that's notoriously volatile year to year. That's really going to be hard to replicate. So you add those two things together, they lose their defensive coordinator, Staying healthy, again, is going to be a hard thing. So I think there is some reason to expect some regression from the defense. And then on the other side of the, of the ball, you have all of the pieces are back. I think the running back room is even better. I mean, I expect Jalen Hurts to get better. We've seen it every year over the last four years of his career. But they have a first-time play call. The last... his The best game he's played was the last one he right. played. It's, the, the arrow is still pointing up. But they have a first-time play caller who has never called plays on any level. And one of the big reasons this offense was so good was Shane Steichen, who went to Indianapolis, and they lose him for Brian Johnson. I don't don't know. I don't, like, 
we don't know what to expect out of the play call. I think there's enough talent that it's like too good to fail, but that's still a thing that might matter in the playoffs or in big games against like Dallas, against teams that have similar talent. So th- that's my reason for like pessimism, but like they're too good. This roster's too good. They're too deep. They're too good. They're they're well coached. I have no qualms about putting this team number one. My question is, where do we put them in the hierarchy of the league? And that's a, a discussion for later. Let's stay on the the defense for a second, because you pointed out where there's potential for regression in terms of what they're able to do up front with the sack totals and getting turnovers in the secondary. The area where it seems like there is, I think I will be overusing the the word regression to call this positive regression, but just room for improvement and, and potential for improvement would be the middle of the field. Yeah. Because their coverage of the middle of the field last year was the thing that they got picked on in the Super Bowl. It was, it was one of the weaker areas of the team. Now, look, they also lost some of those guys. They lost TJ Edwards. They lost Kaiser White. Um, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who, by the way, uh, was was injured in practice for Detroit, but is apparently okay, according to Dan Campbell. So that's that's good for the Lions. Um, Marcus Epps, they they lose some of those bodies. Now, that was, I think, a weak spot for for the defense. And they are, I, I would imagine, hoping that a healthy N'Kobe Dean is a big difference maker. Um, seems like they're they're planning on him having a major role. He's been wearing the the green dot at least a certain amount in, in their offseason practices. Um, with that and hoping for another good year out of Reed Blankenship, what do you think the potential for that area of the defense to get better is? I think it's like a schematic question to me. Like, that's what I had, the the way to kind of make up for the regression that I think we're almost certainly going to see in the sack department is by just getting better at coverage. Like, I thought when teams, when quarterbacks were able to avoid the negative plays, like when when quarterbacks didn't throw interceptions and mostly avoided sacks, because this was a hard thing to do against this team, they kind of struggled. They kind of struggled to cover guys. There were openings in the defense. And I think Sean Desai bringing him in, a a Vic Fangio guy, is obviously Vic Fangio was with the team last year. He was a consultant late down down the stretch of the season. So I think there's some overlap there. I think there's some continuity. They did some Fangio-type stuff, but I think you're going to see a more expanded package. And I think that's how you kind of make up for it. You just get better in coverage. You get more sound in coverage. Uh, And... I thought you brought up a great point. I think the middle of the field is going to be very important, taking that away. Because I do think quarterbacks are going to have a, a bit more time to throw. I mean, you lose, like, Javon Hargrave. That's that's a move that's going to matter. Hassan Reddick is going to have a right. hard time replicating that sack production. I think he's a very good player. But, like, his sack numbers were a, li- a little tiny bit inflated. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's like a schematic coverage thing. Getting better on the back end is going to help them and help them make up for whatever they lose on the front end. And some of that, some of what happens up front is going to depend on what does Jalen Carter look like? Right. How how immediately is is he an impact player? Is he an impact player? We'll see all of that. There, you know, there are some some sliding levers there. Still think this is among the best teams in the NFL and, and clearly the best 
team in the division and potentially the conference, but we'll see. I, I do think Jordan Davis needs a big year. I think that's a big key because low-key, like this team wasn't the best set defending the run. I think they sacrificed like that aggressive nature when getting after the right. quarterback for some soundness in the run game. And I think Jordan Davis is like a guy who can fix that all on his own. He's a very large man. And I think if he starts to play well and gets <laughs> more comfortable, which like he's going back to the type of defense he played at Georgia in, a, in Sean Desai's defense. So I think there is some reason to hope that he can kind of replicate the effect he had on Georgia's defense. They certainly have the same players around him. They keep drafting these guys. So I, th- I think he's one of the X factors here. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a big deal. I mean, they were in the 20s in rushing success rate and yards after contact allowed. Some of that, I think, is by design. But just you're sacrificing a little bit of that, as you said, for the explosiveness for the sack totals. But he's large. So <laughs> good stuff. I had the Cowboys second. I do too. Okay. I think I think that's a pretty clear call, but right. I didn't think about did you think about it? No. Yeah, but I. sometimes you get crazy, Steven. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Um my concerns with Dallas, to the extent that I have them, um, I shouldn't necessarily start with that because I think they're a very good team. It's it's coaching. Um, this roster, I think, is 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 really good and better than it was last year um, because of the additions of Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks, both of whom I think are going to be significant. Are are just going to make more things possible, particularly what what Cooks can do, just adding a vertical threat to that offense, allowing CeeDee Lamb to be more thoroughly that underneath guy that is is when he's at his best. It's a really good team. The fact that the offensive reins are being so thoroughly handed to Mike McCarthy is is concerning to me because I think their offense was not doing them any favors last year. Um, Dak is a quarterback who I really like, but who didn't have a great great year last year. Some of that is on him. Some of that is is on the number of tight window throws that he was asked to make. I, I don't know that I see a ton of evidence, other than the Cooks move, I suppose, that that stuff is changing. And that is the only thing that gives me pause not in terms of saying that this is the team that goes second, but just in terms of saying this is a this is a Super Bowl contender. No, I think that's fair. Because I think those little things make the difference when you're playing against good teams. And like Mike McCarthy, it, let's say he is more involved in the offense, and that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be calling the offense. Like that takes something off your plate in terms of like game management. And like game management has never been a thing that Mike McCarthy has excelled at. Like he needs all the help he can can get and if he's really like in tune with the offense and focused on what the offense is doing that might be tougher to do and it might make his job a little harder as a head coach and then you add it on the layer that the last time we saw Mike McCarthy really have his hands on an offense it didn't go so well and it didn't go so well with one of the best quarterbacks we have ever seen play and that quarterback was not a fan of Mike McCarthy's work according to like the reports that came out after that so I'm with you there like I think there's reason to believe that this offense is going to regress positively there's that word again just because of the interceptions i don't think Dak's going to lead the nfl in interceptions again but 
I don't know what a Brian Schottenheimer, Mike McCarthy offense looks like. I don't know what a Mike McCarthy, Brian Schottenheimer collab looks like at all. Because like, in my mind, these are like two separate offenses. And like, while Brian Schottenheimer kind of did good in, in Seattle and like building that offense around Russ, that's like a weird offense that doesn't apply to this situation. And any other time we've seen Brian Schottenheimer run an offense, it hasn't been good. And it's been bad in all the well, in all the ways that we like to complain about offenses. Like it's not imaginative, like the condensed formations, not enough receivers on the field. So I'm skeptical about that. But I think Dak is good enough to kind of solve some of those problems. And I think this receiving core, if Brandon Cooks is healthy and Michael Gallup kind of bounces back from last year because he was it was not good last year. And I think it was the effects of coming back from injury. I think there's a chance where like this team is too talented for it not to mat for it to matter. But I agree with you in those games where like it's a one possession game. I do not trust this coaching staff to get the most out of this team. And let me uh, exclude Dan Quinn from that conversation. I just mean on the offensive side. Absolutely. <laughs> All props to Dan Quinn. We love you. Continue thriving. King. Uh, I, so that's the that's the hope, right? That's the version where this is all great is just the talent in the receiver room in particular gets everybody to do the right thing and gets everybody into place and this works out really well. The other possibility and and I think this is where this is the parallel to the Russell Wilson Seattle days that you're worried about, right? Is that a month into the season we're having a let Dak cook conversation every week because this was a 50-50 run pass split team last year. They are now thinner at running back. I'm not sure which direction more Mike McCarthy points the arrow in. They hired a new offensive line coach in, in Mike Solari who was previously on Tom Landry's staff Um. I'm not necessarily expecting him to be, you know, all love to Mike Solari. I'm just not necessarily expecting him to be like a new school philosophy guy. And they're down a Zeke Elliott, right. who, you know, is not a $90 million player, but is useful. Right. So that is my worry, is that the great players on this team are not, not going to be there's two layers to it, right? Because sometimes I think Dak was put in objectively bad situations last year, just with with primarily with the amount of tight window throws he was asked to make. But I also worry about just the maximization of the talent on this offensive roster because they should throw the ball more than 50% of the time. It's not about the numbers, but they should do that. That should happen. That should happen. And I, I, do, I do wonder how the loss of Zeke impacts this offense. I think it impacts it in ways that are harder to like kind of perceive uh, just because of like his role in setting the protections and and as a pass blocker on right. third down, like I, I really feel like Dak had a lot of trust in him. And that was one of the reasons I feel like Tony Pollard, despite the, the disparity in their production, had trouble getting onto the field just because you you needed Zeke to be around to like pick up blitzes. And he, he, he picked up the, the tough yardage in the run game and losing that component to the offense, I think is going to have a big impact. I think it, it might be hard to recognize, but I think it's going to have a big impact. And I think one of the ways it will is like 
as bad as Dallas was with negative plays and interceptions, they were really good at avoiding sacks. I think Dak had a large role in that, but I think Zeke had his his a large hand in that too. And I wonder if, like, even if the interceptions go down, but the sacks go up, I wonder if that just offsets each other. And we have the same offense we saw last year where it was certainly good and we saw the highs were really high, but the lows were, were really low too. And there was inconsistency issues. And that was the case throughout Kellen Moore's reign as offensive coordinator. So... I don't know. I, I I think this is a good team. I still think it's a team that needs to be carried by its defense, as it kind of was at times last year. And yes. I think it has. It's another year where we might be talking about there being too much on Dak's plate and him pressing. And I wouldn't be surprised if like interceptions aren't the problem that they were last year, but they are not. You know, maybe they're like below average in interceptions. Well, I'm I'm glad you pointed out that this team will probably be led by the defense because we started off talking a bunch about the offense because there are, there are questions and I think there's a little bit more variability. This I think this is easily a top five defensive roster, especially when you factor in the job that Dan Quinn has done with this defense. They could end up, if they end up the best defense in the NFL, I will be not remotely surprised. Uh, one more note, just because you mentioned some of the pass protection questions um, now that, that Zeke is not with them. The other thing they're dealing with is Zach Martin uh, has so far not gone out to Oxnard for their training camp because he would also like a raise. So we'll see what happens. I'm going to assume that gets done or figured out in, in some way, shape, or form. One thing about the Cowboys is like, they'll pay their stars. They'll just sort of give you money if you ask for it. Um, so I, I, I figure that gets resolved, but so far, uh, there is an issue there and obviously not having your best offensive lineman would not be great for them. No, it would not. I like to blame Madden for this holdout. Like the Madden ratings came out. I don't know if you saw this <laughs> and they named Zach Martin a 99 overall, which is like the highest you can get. And then he holds out the next day. And the funniest layer to that is that the guy that does the ratings for Madden is a Cowboys fan. So he may have inadvertently wow. ruined the offensive line. Good job. Hoisted on your own <laughs> petard. That's very funny. All right, let's take a quick break and finish up with the last two. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less, and one because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Empower. 
you got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. All right, we're back. Two teams left. Steven, tell me where you went with the number three team in the NFCs because this this got a little hard for me. Yeah, this was hard for me, but it came back to the quarterback position, which like is a, an odd thing to say when one of those quarterbacks is Danny Jones, but I think the gap at quarterback is enough for me to pick the Giants here. I think these teams were like closely matched and like down the stretch, they had that, I think it was like a three-week stretch where they played each other twice and that was like a big deal and we saw how close close these teams were, but I would say Washington either got worse at quarterback or remained stagnant. And that's assuming that they're going to give Hal the start. I would start Jacoby Brissett coming off last year. I thought he proved that he was worthy of a starting spot in this league. I don't know if Hal did that in his his cameo appearances at the end of the year. But if they are going to start Hal, which I think is probably the, the better long-term move just because who's available in the draft and what they need at quarterback... But if they are start, it's a very funny situation, though, because I, I, I kind of, I want them to start Sam Howell. I think he's interesting, and I want to see what he can do. I also, every time I read something about their commitment to Sam Howell, I go, does Ron Rivera know he's going to get fired? <laughs> like, does does he know that this is year four and a new guy just bought the team? Like, you have to make the playoffs this year. Or just history says that that's not your job anymore. And I don't know that I totally... I don't think he's done a perfect job there, but I think Ron Rivera is is a good coach and a good just sort of organizational leader in general. Um, And that is a hard job to have. And the fact that he's lasted this long in it, right, is is something... There's something to be said for that. You're... It's like the... It's like he doesn't know... Like Sam Howell is not the guy like this is normally when you see when you see and not that this always works out right. But this is when you see coaches and and front offices shell out for like a veteran retread and be like, you know what? Okay, we we've we've we're hoping we get a lot out of the defensive line. We've got really good receivers. Let's just get somebody who knows what what they're doing. We're going to try to win nine, ten games, sneak into the playoffs Everybody keeps their job. Like, they're like, you know what? Let's make a move for for three, four years down the line and see what we have in Sam Howell. Cool. I would do it, but I think we're probably all the better for it. So, so thank you. Thank you, Ron Rivera. And what are you doing? It's 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 crazy. And I think the the funniest part of that was when they were like, oh, yeah, he's got a little Brock Purdy in him. Like, Ron Rivera said that. And I was like, you need more than than Brock Purdy to save your job, man. <laughs> Brock, Pur- Brock Purdy is not... In Brock the- Purdy. He's not even Brock Purdy. He's like, they could see some Brock Purdy in him. Brock Purdy's not walking through that Brock door. Brock Purdy has turned this league upside down. Absolutely no person involved in the National Football League myself included, honestly, is able to get through a conversation about Brock Purdy without saying something absolutely deranged. 
We have like no idea who Brock Purdy is. Like, Brock Purdy? But like, you remember the draft and every single time, like once we got past the first round, every quarterback was, oh, this year's Brock Purdy. Could he be this year's Brock Purdy? Here's my question. Maybe? Is Howell, who is like kind of undersized, kind of like that runaround style of quarterback who's tough and he, like he could follow the offense kind of, but he he likes to go into freelance mode a little bit. Is he starting if Brock Purdy doesn't have the year he had last year? Like, do, do, is Ron Rivera saying, oh, Howell can be a guy that we that could start for us? if Brock Purdy doesn't lay out the model, lay out the blueprint for it. I I, I honestly think that we're talking, we're having a different conversation now if Brock Purdy doesn't happen. That's, that's not good. No, it's not. That's not a good, Mr. Irrelevant winning some games and looking pretty, I like Brock Purdy. I too am, am Brock Purdy pilled, as we all are. I'm not, I'm not. Can I go on the Brock- record and say I'm not Brock Purdy pilled? <laughs> Mr. Irrelevant winning some games within like the the most comfortable offense in the league with unbelievable skill position players. And then ripping his elbow up. Like that's not something that shouldn't shift the paradigm. <laughs> but apparently it has. I think me and Ben need to do a like a Brock Purdy episode. I like honestly. We should do Brock Purdy week. Brock Purdy week here at the Ringer. I think it would be. Great. It would be. I think we'd have a lot of content. Like the guy literally just do. He couldn't throw a football, and they stayed in the game for like two quarters. <laughs> okay, how did this become a Brock Purdy discussion? That's what he does. <laughs> He's a vampire. So who's your fourth team in the NFC West? <laughs> We're just switching okay, the pods so to, the, to the. I put the Giants. I put the Giants last. I'm. I'm, and I think like and the. The point you made about um, when these teams played each other last year, like I could, it was, those were great games. And and these are, they're really, really close. And when we get to the overall rankings, I think we'll see some of that. I think this, the quarterback question is the, is the question. Washington's roster is really good, man. Yeah. And I, I think this is, I worry a little bit that if the Giants don't have some of... Now, the the defensive line in New York could actually end up being better because those guys are young. And, and I think actually on both sides of the ball, the best possible outcome for the Giants involves the lines taking steps. If you get Evan Neal on a similar development track to Andrew Thomas, right? Like all of a sudden, that's a good offensive line. And towards the end of last season, they had become scary on the defensive line. And if, and if we see those young guys continue to develop, that's going to be a massive, massive strength for them. I still worry about the linebackers. This is another sort of middle of the field concerns situation defensively. We know what they're going to be with Mink Martindale. Um, and I do think that the the secondary, sort of against all odds, kind of got it together and and understood what they needed to do towards the end of last year. And then I love the Deontay Banks pick. I think that's going to be a perfect fit for them. Um, I just, I think they got away with a lot 
last year. And I wonder if they're going to be able to do it again. You know, it's funny because they beat the pants off the Vikings in the playoffs, but there is data. Um, Tom Bliss, who's a data scientist for the NFL, calculates who the luckiest teams were. And the funny thing is that the Giants, over the course of last season, by by those metrics, which includes factors in dropped interceptions, dropped passes, missed kicks, fumble recoveries, stuff like that, the Giants were actually luckier than the Vikings. Um, they were the luckiest team in the NFL last year. The other funny thing about that, though, is that the, com- the commanders were second. So <laughs> if we talk about who was getting good bounces... Um, and I'm not the, just by the eye test, the giants were not fraudulent in the way that the Vikings were. Um, and we saw that very clearly in the playoffs, but there are a lot of areas where you're expecting a little bit of regression. And then offensively, I just still don't, I still don't understand. Um, I think a lot clicked into view for me when when there started to be reporting about how badly they wanted Jordan Addison and then were not able to to get that done in the draft because and maybe Darren Waller ends up doing some of this I I just it it just still seems to me that they have 900 slot receivers and I don't understand how this offense fits together um I do really trust the coaching staff I I trust the trajectory that they're on so I think they're a, I think they will be a good team. I, I hope that they will try to introduce a little bit more of a downfield element be because good. some of that is personnel, but some of that is just like they really reined Daniel Jones in with the intention of cutting down on the turnovers. That worked, but maybe you can try to to be tactful with it, bring a little bit of that stuff back. Um it's a it's a good team. I just I, the commander skill position groups. I think that's the roster is just a tad more impressive to me um, across the board. Whereas I think the Giants have some really good units and then some areas of of concern. But they they are they are so close to me. Yeah, I kind of like misremembered how the Giants season went last year. Like I and I think it's the Vikings win. Like it kind of warps your perception of what this team did down the stretch. Like they won two games out of their last like seven down the stretch. It's not like they went into the playoffs flying high. They they have that good game against the Vikings. Like they almost gave it away at the end, and then they get blown out by the Eagles. So I think that does speak to how far this team has to go. I just I expect the offense to be better, and I expect the defense to be. I mean, there was a there was a, a point when they were just starting anybody at cornerback last year, and I think that yeah. that that should help, and especially with a, a Wink Martindale defense, which we've seen like yeah. for a couple of years in a row. Maybe it says something about Wink Martindale and what he asked of his secondary, but I think there's going to be some positive re- regression there, and I don't know. It, I think it does come down to how much faith we have in Dayball because. One thing we could say about Saquon's year last year is like it wasn't very efficient. I, th- I do think he was the key to the offense, but he, he wasn't efficient. He almost had to sacrifice his own production to get the best out of this offense. Like in terms of receiving touches, he lost the most EPA in the NFL last year. He lost 18. I, I'm saying he, it wasn't on him. I, the offense lost that EPA on those on right. those touches. And then he was negative EPA in the run game. But when you look, when you drill down into his stats, he was at the top of the league in like over expectation stats 
which are based on like who's in the box, how many players in the box, how well the play is blocked, uh, the run concept and all that stuff. And he actually overperformed. So his stats look bad, but he overperformed. Now, my question is like, okay, Brian Dayball, like your thing is supposed to be offense. Let's get the most out of this very talented player. And I don't think he did a great job of doing that last year. Like when you look at Saquon's usage as a running back, it looks like any old running back or as a receiver. Sorry. It looks like any old running backs uh, usage though. Like he's catching flare passes, catching checkdowns. He's not splitting out wide. He's not splitting out into the slot. I think that's a layer they can add to their offense. And I think it's a layer they need to add because like you said, they're short on, on skill players. Darren Waller is a good player. A very good tight end and causes a lot of headaches for defensive coordinators, but he is a tight end. And I think tight ends, there's a ceiling on, on the stress they can put on the defense just because of where they line up. So, well, and also, can you, can, is it necessarily a good idea to expect Darren Waller to be healthy? That's another thing. And like, they just has not usually worked out that way. They bring in Paris Campbell, who has like the longest injury track record I've ever seen. Like there are like car accidents on it. Like this, like he had a year, <laughs> a, a year ago where it was the most unlucky guy in the NFL. I really want to see him play. I think he's a good player, but you can't rely on him to stay healthy. Jalen Hyatt, like I wasn't the highest on him. I thought he was in like a, an offense that just doesn't translate to the NFL at all at Tennessee. And he was a bit of a deep ball merchant. Like we need to see him prove that he could be like an every down, every concept, every route type of receiver. I'm not saying he can't, like he certainly has some talent, but we just didn't see it in college. And like, those are the guys that typically have the the hardest time transitioning. So maybe down the line, like... If he hits though, that'll be a big deal for them. That would be a huge deal for them. But I I just, I I have a hard time seeing it in year one. And I think that's the question mark with a lot of these guys. Like there could be a time in November where like maybe Waller picks up a knock and he's not in the lineup, maybe... Campbell's not in the lineup and and Robinson's kind of struggling where we're like, we're in the same spot we were last year. They don't have enough weapons. And this offense has to kind of do similar things. We saw there was an expiration date last year. They started off so hot and then the wheels kind of fell off and then they had that good playoff game. So I I see the question marks, but I think the defense is going to take a huge step. Like I think Kayvon Thibodeau is just going to have a monster year this year. Like a breakout year where we're saying this guy is next, like he's the next all pro. And I think that goes a long way. And I think the Banks draft pick is another one that really elevates this defense. So I think you're going to see some positive regression from the defense. And I have faith in Dayball. Like I just asked that question, like, let's see it from you. I think he's going to deliver. So that's, that's the reason for my optimism. And that like, if you tell me Jacoby Brissett is starting 17 games, I'm with you. I'm willing to say the Commanders are a better team. But I don't know if that's going to be the case. So I'm kind of iffy. You seem a little more confident. So I, I will lean towards Washington being the third. Well, so I was going to say that that you'd you'd done a good job. You'd convinced me. But I, one more question. Yeah. Because we've talked about Sam Howell and, and Washington being the main question there. But what do you... It sounds like you don't expect a lot from him. Yeah, uh, I watched him a little bit a couple weeks ago. I need to watch him more before I like come to a firm conclusion. But I, he's just a little too Baker Mayfield for me. Like when it works, it works. Like it looks good. He has a strong arm. <laughs> he has some scrambling ability. I just think he's too confident in it, and it really helped him out. Like in the, the people who the people who like Sam Howell comp Russell Wilson, and the people who hate Sam Howell comp Baker Mayfield. <laughs> what happens if you're low on Baker and Russ? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Drew Brees, I guess, the other short quarterback. But I, 
no, I thought he was like a functional quarterback. I think he's going to be decent. And like you said, they have talent around him. They have Eric Bieniemy coming in. I don't know what to expect out of Bieniemy. Uh, it's it's always hard to say with when you're getting an offensive coordinator from an offensive head coach and maybe the best one ever. So the question marks on the offense kind of scare me off from like touting the defense too much. But I could see a scenario where the defense is even better because like you look at their their stats like. They didn't, their defensive line was very good and it got pressure and it was very good against the run, but they didn't get a lot of sacks and they didn't get a lot of turnovers. Like they were really good when the secondary had to cover. And I think it's a testament to that scheme. And I think that's not going away. I think the defensive line is still good. The pieces are in place. If they get a little more turnovers, this could be one of the, maybe the best defense in the the NFL. It was close last year. So I think that's the reason that. I'm willing to put them over the Giants. I think you, I, I'm willing to go Giants three, Cowboys four. Uh, sorry, um, Commanders four. I was going to say that that you convinced me that I was overrating Sam, Sam Howell ever so slightly and that I wasn't paying enough attention to the coaching advantage that I think the Giants have. These teams are so close. This is so hard. Okay, wait, 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 wait. They tied. Let's just, let's just do it again. They tied. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they tied. Cool. Um, let's put it all together. All right, let's do it. I need a recap of the list. I have it in a Google Doc somewhere, but I'm not going to be able to find it. <laughs> okay. The list, pre-editions of NFC's teams, is Chiefs, Bengals, Bills, 49ers, Ravens, Dolphins, Jaguars, Jets, Seahawks. Lions coming in at 10th overall. Then we've got the Chargers, the Patriots, the Falcons, the Broncos, the Browns, followed by the Vikings, the Colts, the Packers, the Steelers, the Saints, the Titans. That's our group of three. Yeah, but we we like the coaching. Um, the Raiders, Panthers, Bears, Rams, Bucks, Texans, and Cardinals. All right. I guess Eagles first. Where do you think they go? Second. I think they go after the Chiefs. Which is really boring because that makes the top of our list just the Super Bowl. But you know what? There's some logic to that. Yeah, I mean, I think you almost have to do it. Especially with like how tightly packed the AFC is. And on a neutral field, I think, yeah, I think Philadelphia just has too much talent. Right now, in July, I'm picking... Philadelphia over all those teams. But I think it's close enough where like I wouldn't be mad if you had a team above them. But I agree with you. I and it's like Jalen Hurts takes another step. Like I don't even know. Like they could be the best team in the NFL. Right. I feel pretty like if they played Cincinnati on a neutral field right now. Of course it could go a bunch of different ways, but like I don't think that I would spend that much time. I wouldn't agonize over who I was picking in that. And I would pick Philly. Especially with how those teams match up with like the... the I, I know right. Cincinnati's offensive line is better now, but like that's not the best matchup for them against that defensive right. line. What do you think about the Cowboys? <sighs> I don't know. I want to put them around Seattle. I think... Okay. I had them a little higher. Where did you have them? I put them after the the um, Dolphins, but before the Jaguars. Okay, okay. Uh, I 
I would put him after Jacksonville for me. I think the coaching You'd advantage. I think the coaching advantage is it goes towards Jacksonville. I think the quarterback, like as much as I love Dak, I think this year, this is the year like Trevor officially passes him in in the hierarchy, and those two things are enough for me. Given the question marks around Mike McCarthy taking, they're like Mike McCarthy, Doug Peterson. I'm, I'm going with Doug Peterson. I think there's a huge gap there that makes up for the defensive talent that Dan Quinn is working with. Like, I have questions about the Jags. Well, so that's part. that's what I was going to say is of those two teams, the Cowboys are the one where I feel like there is something that I know is going to be really, really good. What about the Jaguars other than like Trevor individually? What about the Jaguars are you confident is going to be great next year, this year? That's a good question. I I don't have an answer for that, but I the coaching, the coaching is the thing I would say. Uh how much that matters is a fair question. I I don't know. Like I think talent wins games, but I think Trevor might be a top 5 quarterback by the end of this year. And I don't think we're having that conversation about Dak because of the coaching he's getting. And like we get you get Ridley back. This team took off at the end of the year. I think Trayvon Walker could have a big second year. I think they're going to use him better. I think they're going to use him more like they should have last year, not have him drop into coverage and standing up. I think they're going to use him as a rush end. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this defense is like around middle of the pack. And if that's the case, like this, this is a top five, a potential top five offense for me. So that's why I think I'm leaning towards them. I just tend to lean towards the offensive teams more. Uh, I mean, I I'm I don't feel that strongly about it. I'm willing to put Dallas ahead of Jacksonville because I do love Dak. But I think in a neutral, like a, a in a matchup on a neutral field, I would go with Jacksonville. But it would be a, a conversation in my head. Okay, ninth. Okay, I think Washington is where we're going to have the widest gap. So where where do you have? Because I I want to slot them in right behind. I was gonna I want to say Denver. I want to put them in that in that area. I do think the defense is hard okay. to ignore. No, okay, okay. I'm gonna retract that. I want to put them right behind New England because I think like the same reasons for being optimistic about New England you could say about Washington. Every like across yeah. the board, the defense. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'll, that's where I'll put them. So you and I, I actually don't. The, this you and I, we're not so different. <laughs> you and I, uh, I had Washington, and so because, um, and now we're saying that they tied. Originally, I had Washington and the Giants back to back, right after the Chargers and before the Patriots, which makes sense because I'm a little lower on New England right, than yeah. you are. I'm, I, I'm not positive they're going to be an awesome awesome like top five defense immediately um but yeah i had i had them back to back after the chargers all right that's fine with me i think i think uh you mean the giants in washington or washington yeah. New England? okay that that's fine with me i feel like i got my way with new england when we ranked them initially so now <laughs> like i have to give something back 
How about we do this? How about we just throw them into the tie? Now we have a three-way tie. <laughs> By the end of this exercise, like every team. Honestly, is I don't. I don't hate it. It's just a. Uh, it's a uh, thirty-one way tie for first, and then the Cardinals, who we can't seem to be nice to. That's right. I'm just kidding. Um, okay. We have a list: Giants, Commanders, and here it is. Here's the list. Number one. Kansas City, number two, Philly, number three, the Cincinnati Bengals, number four, the Bills, 49ers, five, Ravens, six, Dolphins, seven, Jaguars, eight, Dallas, nine, Jets, 10, Seahawks, 11, Lions, 12, Chargers, 13, a three-way tie between the Giants, Commanders, and Patriots at 14. Falcons at 17, Broncos at 18, Browns at 19, Vikings 20, Colts 21, Green Bay 22, Steelers 23, Saints 24, Titans 25, Raiders 26, Panthers 27, Bears 28, Rams 29, Bucks 30, Texans 21, Cardinals 32. And seam. That feels good to me. I, I have I do have one question. I like it. Should we push up Tennessee okay. because of the Hopkins deal? Or do- didn't we already do that? Oh, did we? I don't remember. It, I went on vacation yeah. last week. It's it's all blurring together. Maybe we did. <laughs> I think we did. I, think we did I remember doing it now. It's all coming. Keep back. that in anyway. Um, I don't. I don't care. <laughs> I feel good about this list, and I'm glad that we have it. And you know, maybe we can revisit it at the end of the season and and figure out all the things that we got wrong, Stephen. Happy training camp. Thank you. I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. How are you feeling? That sounded so unconvincing. No, I was, li- I was um, totally lying. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the regular season. I like a little bit of training camp. I feel... So the, the, the takeaway from this to me is like, I feel good about a lot of these teams. You're we're getting solidly into the mid twenties before I'm like eh, I don't know. There's sort of it's hard to see a path. I'm surprised to feel that way. I think some of it has to do with the disparity between the conferences, just how tough the AFC looks, and and um, how relatively open the NFC feels. But there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. I think a, a lot of teams with the number of young quarterbacks too. I mean, right, like the Colts are right, 21. Yeah. And I'm so fascinated to see what happens with the Colts. Even Houston. Because, yeah, totally. The 31st team. Who knows? I think there's there's been a lot and of... That's what training camp's for. Hope springs There's been a lot of talk about like tanking and, and we're worried about if teams are going to tank for these quarterbacks. But like... There are only uh, three teams, maybe, that I think are uninteresting for this year. That are like, and the Rams could be interesting, and that was one of the teams. Like Tampa Bay, I'm just like, whatever. I don't, I don't know. And then Arizona, but like everyone else, Houston, like you have Stroud, you have D'Amico Ryan's coming in. They signed a bunch of guys. Get Will Anderson in there. I think there's like reason to tune into all of these teams, and maybe that's easier to say on July, at the end of July, but. 
I, I'm excited about the season. I think there's a lot of intrigue. Good stuff. All right. This has been the Ringer NFL show, the final episode of our Power Ranking series. I'm Nora Princiati. As always, he is Stephen Ruiz. Stephen, you and Ben Zolak this Friday on the feed, back with another big question, or are we transitioning because of training camp? We're transitioning, unfortunately. Ooh. All right. Well, there's lots of good stuff. Um, If people haven't listened to all of those episodes, digging into some of the big topics, that's been really, really cool to listen to. Highly encourage everybody to check that out if they haven't already and to get excited for a ton of, of new stuff coming up on this feed. As always, thank you to Stefan Anderson for production on this episode and to Connor Nevins and Arjuna Rambupal for additional production supervision. 